Welcome to the Sales Theory Podcast, wherever you may be listening and however you may be listening. Thanks for making this a part of your day. On this podcast, I interview individual contributors, sales leaders, sales strategists, and analysts across a range of industries on a variety of topics to educate the market on successful methodologies to ultimately close more deals and grow revenue. Today is Monday, July 27th, and today I'm joined by a very, very special guest, um, someone who I met not but a couple weeks ago by way of introduction. Today, I'm really excited to be connecting with Dan Rome. Dan is the author of an uh, international best-selling book called Back of the Napkin, um, and for his work, he's been featured on CNN, CNBC, Fox News, ABC, just to name a few on visual thinking, visual sales, and really how to, how to drive more revenue during a very unique time. Dan, it's really great to connect you today. I hope you had an awesome weekend. I'm really excited to, to kind of dive in today. Yeah, me too, Julian. Thanks much. I always love to talk about pictures and how we might use them in sales. So uh, this is cool. I'm glad you invited me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, Dan, just to kind of kick things off and I guess just scratch the surface on this topic over the next, you know, 30, 45 minutes, I know we'll be diving in a lot more detail, but if you can just, you know, this is such a relevant topic right now, right? Like we are all working from home, at least we all should be. Um, and for those of us in sales, regardless of industry or, or segment or vertical, we are faced with the challenge of conveying a compelling message without shaking someone's hand. And that is become extremely challenging. Um, so if you can maybe just, if we can scratch the surface on kind of the art and science of visual storytelling and, and what that means to you, Dan, that would be, I think, an awesome place to start. Oh man, Julian, do I hear you? And and I see you. Yes, we, we are all remote these days. You're so right. And as you said, I can't even shake your hand anymore. And so one of the things that I've been talking about for, gosh, 15 years now is how powerful it is to activate someone's visual mind to help convey a story and and some emotion and to clarify complexity by using the power of a simple picture. And boy, over these last few months with all of us staying home, every one of those lessons is now 10 times more important simply because we don't have that kind of emotional connection that we used to when we could share a room with someone. And so we're all kind of looking for what is the best way to really convey complexity, to convey enthusiasm, to convey optimism and opportunity when we are remote. And I'll tell you all the lessons about the power of the visual mind are just amped up many, many more times now. So lots of things we can talk about there. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it, it seems like a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But when we when we were in the we were, when we were in the office, um, you know, Salesforce has um, we, we kind of live and breathe by the mantra of, of having your face in the place and being able to shake hands, and being able to sit in a conference room with a with with a CXO and say, hey, let me just, you know, maybe we can have this conversation while I'm doing that in parallel. I might kind of write some things on the whiteboard and, and create some visuals behind this to kind of make this living live and breathe. Um, so, and it's funny it was as we segued into this virtual environment and, and trying to work on complex pursuits and projects and deals, you know, I, I find myself putting together decks that are so much more, you know, rich in content and interesting. And I find myself spending so much more time critiquing these decks. I know, it's my one shot to really convey a message. So I guess why why is the visual such a key part of selling? Like, what is it about the visual that leaves 
that helps someone leave the meeting with an impression? Well, yeah, Julian, incredible question. And I, if you don't mind, what I'd like to do is actually break it into kind of two distinct parts. One would be the power of using the visual mind to sell whether you're in person or uh, in, in any circumstance. And that would be sort of path number one. And then path number two is why is that so important now that we are doing everything remotely? So let's, if you don't mind, let's start with kind of the broader picture of why do pictures matter in storytelling and selling at all? And, and there's some kind of simple science behind that. If, if you just think about the power of the human brain and, and all of the hundreds of billions of neurons that we have that are processing all of the information that's coming into us, it's estimated that probably close to about a half of our entire brain is processing vision, is dedicated to vision more than any other thing that we do. We are incredibly visual creatures just by virtue of being human. I mean, and, and you can think about it, Julian, just from the sense you wake up in the morning and the first thing that happens, hopefully, is your eyes open and you get a sense of, you know, is the sun out? Is it dark out? If the sun's out, what's the weather like? And without anybody telling you that, just based on what you've seen, you make decisions about, uh, you know, am I going to get up now or what clothes am I going to wear? Just a whole bunch of really pretty important things that you just subconsciously are not even aware of that you're doing and they're all driven by our sense of vision. So I've always maintained that when we need to explain to someone or share with someone an idea, the more we can take advantage of that half of the brain that wants to see pictures, the better off we're going to be. So we can go into much more detail about how do you do that, but let's just put that as sort of the, the table stakes. The more that you can activate someone's visual mind, the more likely you are to trigger their emotional response, their cognitive response, and all kinds of questions that they might have about what you want to do and what you're explaining. So you always want to be as visual as you can be. Makes sense. Now, the second path there is why would that matter even more in this remote world? And Julian, it's for the reason you said. I'd, I'd, I'd not heard that term in, at, at Salesforce about face in the place, but I totally get it. I come out of a career of being in sales myself without ever really knowing that that's what I was doing. And I recognize that how you enter a room, how you project your yourself, whether it's it's your mood or what you look like or, or your tone of voice or maybe what you wear and certainly what you draw on the whiteboard, those things are important. And guess what? In a remote world, almost none of that stuff matters because people can't really see you that well. And it often used to be said that really, really great salespeople might have a certain, I don't know, call it a charisma or a connection or an emotional intelligence, a way to really connect with, with a prospect that makes a lot of the sale feel less like a sale and more like a conversation or, or even a friendship. Mm -hmm. That stuff's really, really hard remote because all of that is not really accessible through this tiny crappy little camera that most of us are looking at at each other. But here's the thing about the power of the picture. One of the few ways in a remote session that you can actually connect to someone at a really emotional level through a webcam is, believe it or not, by drawing something and sharing what you're drawing through the screen. It's a fantastic substitute for the kind of the live emotional connection that normally would have existed in a room that can't come uh, through remote, but you can by simply taking over the screen. And we'll, we'll talk about the technology of how do you do this and what do I mean here in a moment. But just the point is, 
if I'm sharing an idea with you and I've kind of taken over your screen and I'm drawing something like on a digital or a virtual whiteboard, it's commanding your attention in a really, really powerful way. And if I'm good at that drawing, not because I'm a talented drawer, but because I've thought through what's the visual part of my story and how might I draw even a simple little stick figure or an arrow or a box or a circle to amplify that, I know that I'm going to own a lot of your processing, you as, as my the recipient, because I understand the power of the visual. So there's kind of those two pieces to it. Let me turn it around to you, Julian. Does what I say so far, how, how does that land with you as you know a, a professional sales enterprise sales guy? How does that sound to you? Yeah, no, I, and, and just for those listening, I think, Dan, what you're suggesting is that just because we are working in a remote environment, that does not mean we have to we have to uh, sacrifice the ability to, to to use illustration and drawing to command mindshare. And I, so it, it absolutely resonates with me. And I think it's a good segue to our next topic. But before I get there, I think it's uh, for me um, when I'm especially in this remote environment, I'm I have to create a new the mechanics around how I sell have been flipped on its head. So there's so many distractions inside my house alone. And I think about that when I'm talking to my customers. So how can I capture their more real estate on, on their attention span? Right. And with mm -hmm. all the different things going on, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had with customers where their kids run in, their dogs barking, and there's so many things going on And any edge I can get to again, capture their attention and have that leave, have them leave that meeting with, okay, this is what this is what I took away from that meeting, and have those takeaways be exactly aligned with my intentions of the meeting. That's a win. Whatever helps me get there, that's a win for me. So we're absolutely aligned, and that makes a lot of sense to me, Dan. Absolutely. Well, the best way to uneven that playing field, and I'm happy for uneven playing fields every time I can get one, <laughs> um, is to understand again at a human level the power of the visual, and if you can create the images that attract someone's attention. It's exactly to what you said a moment ago, Julian. Our job, which is now much harder, is to capture someone's attention and then retain that attention for as long as we possibly can. And given the fact that a lot of the emotional stuff, the emotional human connection is harder now, the best way we have to do it, and it's very powerful, is to seize someone's visual understanding. Live markup, live drawing, showing powerful images, unpacking complex sales strategies into simple pictures that could be drawn on a whiteboard, analog or digital. That's where we want to go. And we will be able to capture attention and retain it. And the powerful part about that too is we will get people to remember what we shared with them. Words are awesome. And you and I are using them now. And for people that are really, really good with words and storytelling, they're magnificent. The trick with words is they don't tend to stay in the mind very long. We hear so many of them, they pass right through. And at the moment, we might think, oh, what a beautiful thing Julian just said. And then we're going to forget about it two minutes later. The visual, we don't forget. When we have seen an image that landed in us powerfully, it is retained in our memory essentially for our entire life in a way that words never, never are. So that's the other reason to, to really focus on the visual in these simple pictures is retention is going to go through the roof as well. Also really important in this remote environment.
Do you have any, just to um, paint a picture, uh, no pun intended. Um, do you have any, do you have any anecdotes you can share uh, on how this has been successful in your selling career in the past or any, any folks you've worked with that they've used this in a virtual environment to be impactful? Oh my gosh. Uh, only thousands of them. <laughs> Julian. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I've had to write five books and there's still more stuff coming. Um, so, so one, one of my favorite, favorite stories ever. And, uh, like many salespeople, I used to travel a lot and I kind of miss it to be fair. I haven't been on an airplane in four months, which is the longest in the last 20 years of my life that I haven't been on a plane. Um, I'm not going to say that my favorite place in the world is to be on a plane in an airport, but I've always enjoyed the traveling and, and getting to go and meet new people. And I, I like that kind of thing. So I've got a story from the airline industry and in just one of the perfect sort of back of the napkin stories. It goes back a couple of decades, but Southwest Airlines, the most successful airline pretty much in the history of the world from a revenue and profitability perspective, was was started with two guys sitting in a bar. Uh, uh, and they, one of them pulled out a napkin and said, Hey, let me explain this idea I have for an airline. And on the, on the back of that napkin, he drew uh, a little schematic diagram of the, the great state of Texas with Dallas and Houston and San Antonio and said, look, these are the three major hubs of business in Texas. And it's a three or four or five hour drive to get from any one to the other. Why don't we create a little airline? And then boom, 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 connecting those three dots on the back of a napkin. Why don't we create an airline that just connects those three hubs of Dallas? And that was the genesis of Southwest Airlines. And uh, that was where it all began. So that's like a simple triangle connecting three cities that normally people wouldn't have connected. Hey, could we do that? So that's kind of one of the most famous to the point where literally in the headquarters of, South, of Southwest Airlines uh, down at Love Field in Dallas, um, they have the original napkin that was drawn by Roland King, who was who was the founder, along with Herb Kelleher. So that's like a great story of one, but it's pretty old. There's a newer one, and it's interesting because you do work at Salesforce, and and this is something that I've enjoyed. I've done some work with Salesforce over the years. I really find it powerful. There is a lot of visual storytelling DNA in Mark Benioff's original idea of what Salesforce would be and what originally started out as kind of no so, you know no software and moving CRM into the cloud and all that kind of thing. And there's a great story. It's a couple of years ago now where um, Mark Banioff, the founder, of course, and CEO of Salesforce, um, met a woman named Angela Arents, who at the time was the CEO of Burberry Fashions in London. And if anybody's a fashion person, you know, Burberry sometimes is a, is a name that's well known because for like 120 years, Burberry has made uh, trench coats. And there's this very famous sort of Burberry plaid scarf that has been a big, big thing forever for a very certain type of British class to wear a Burberry scarf. Angela Arents was running that company, trying to turn it into a more fashion forward company from kind of a, a, a an old school company to a more technologically advanced, uh, embracing its customers. And she met with Mark Benioff to think what might be some of the technical possibilities of how to really activate the Burberry brand. And they were supposed to have this fancy meeting. It was all set up, uh, Julian, you might know this, the Four Seasons Hotel down in Half Moon Bay. Sure. You know, and, and Angela had flown in, flown in from London and Mark was there and they all had their handlers and their people. And it was all this set up uh, meeting in the conference room and blah, blah, blah. 
Suffice it to say, the two of them met. Mark and Angela met in the lobby of the hotel. They're both very high energy individuals. They just sat down in the lobby of the hotel and Mark took out a piece of paper and started drawing this crazy technical diagram, like making it up as he went. And Angela was totally captivated. Like at the center, imagine a circle. And this is like the Burberry brand. And then off of that circle, you could draw another circle. Think of like a mind map. And over here you have like customer interaction and over here you have fashion trends. And then over here you have sort of uh, viral marketing. And then over here you have social media and how all these things link together to create a brand which is focused at the center on the customer of the Burberry brand and how technologically would you build this? And the two of them start passing the pen back and forth and drawing like this whole crazy mind map thing that in the end becomes the new technical architecture for Burberry as a brand. And not surprisingly, a lot of that is based on Salesforce. And it's become this kind of great story. It was put in Fortune magazine a few years ago. I quoted it in one of my books because it's this magnificent drawing created by two high energy people who are having a conversation. And the best way to have it is just to draw this simple little picture. And it's awesome. It's really powerful. So you asked, are there examples? There are many. Those are just a couple. I'll stop because I get excited and I can share many more. But what do you think about those? Do those kind of resonate with you? The 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 first one's fast. I mean, the 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 napkin that created a twenty two billion dollar airline, <laughs> which yeah. is incredible. And you know, I think the thing that really um, the really unique thing about the second story. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Mark Benioff and kind of his art form when it comes to delivering value and delivering presentations. But the best part about that is, you think of a CEO of Burberry, right? That's that's a fashion design brand, probably very far removed from anything technical. I would imagine that. That conversation, a lot of the technical components were new to were new to her. So she can leave that meeting not just with a great conversation and having learned a lot from Mark, but she has a piece of paper she can take back and share that with her team, right? That that is now shared and, and, and that visual is can can be the foundation of a lot of success. Well, and there's one more piece to that story, if I may, because it's uh, it, it's exactly where you're going, I think. Angela Arendt was not a technology person, but following that meeting and the work that she ended up doing largely because of the drawing and her inspiration from it, she became very, very technically literate, uh, turned a lot of Burberry into a more um, social media and online based organization. It became wildly successful. And then she got a call a couple of years later from a guy named Tim Cook, who was running Apple Computer and said, hey, Angela, based on all the work you're doing with Burberry, do you want to come and run global retail for Apple Computer? And she <laughs> said, yes. So for the last uh, seven years, she has been the head of global retail at Apple, which, you know, we probably, many people probably know per square foot is the most successful retail operation on the planet. So uh, it was again that drawing with Mark that inspired her to in some ways become even more technical so that she could take that skill and then go with one of the most, you know, you think about the combination of technology and fashion, you kind of think about Apple, that's where she ended up. Isn't that cool? That's very cool. That's very, very cool. And I, I think these stories are super compelling and I, I'd love to, to bring this back in and kind of share how we can apply this to technology sales and sales in general, especially in today's world. So mm. 
look, I'm finding myself on Google Hangouts, Zoom calls, um, go to meetings, you name it. And one of the things that has kind of risen to the surface as of late is how can we avoid this notion of Zoom fatigue? You know, we mm -hmm. get on these calls, we have a schedule, we try and drive a lot of intentionality around the agenda and what we're going to talk about. But I think with some of my customers, they this is probably their third or fourth call of the day potentially, or they have four after this. And how can I make sure that at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., when they're cooking dinner for their family and kids, when they wrap up and go back to the laptop, they remember what we talked about. Or the next time we talk, I'm not having to reiterate what we talked about, and I can continue to drive my pursuits forward. So does this visual approach in your mind help solve for some of that Zoom fatigue? Absolutely. Absolutely. The best way to avoid Zoom fatigue is to just not be like every other friggin' Zoom that the person has experienced that day. Yep. Like, what can you do? It's a word that we use in sales all the time. What can I do to be differentiated? And yet, when it comes to Zoom, we tend not to be very differentiated. We take over the screen, we talk, we wave our arms, perhaps we project uh, some of our slides, we walk our way through them, and we try desperately to retain someone's attention. Well, here's the simple little trick. When someone's looking at the screen, if you can, and there's simple ways to do it, and we'll talk about it in a moment, actually draw live on the screen, like marking it up, creating marks and circles and arrows and simple squares, and in exactly the same way that Mark Benioff sat there with Angela Arents at that table in the hotel and drew it live, you are grabbing someone's imagination and attention in a way that is, yes, completely differentiated from anything else they've experienced today on Zoom. And number two, they're going to remember it. And number three, it's actually fun. And why is it fun to watch a simple picture being created in front of us while someone is talking? Because it's activating that 50% of our brain that is visual in concert with the remaining parts of our brain that are very verbal and emotional, et cetera. It really brings together the whole thing. So I'm kind of standing here waving my arms with excitement. What does this actually mean for someone on a Zoom call? So there are a couple of ways we could do it. Can can I get a little bit technical for a minute, Julian? Just like real Please. practical tips. Please. So depending, you know, we all use different suites of software. Some of us are PowerPoint people. Some of us are Google Docs people. Some of us are using Zoom, some of us are using GoToMeeting, Google Hangouts, whatever it might be. Every one of those platforms has a whiteboard capability behind it. The different capabilities of each vary. Google has something called Jamboard that allows you to take over the screen and create mind maps. There's a program called Mural uh, that many people are using. It's a digital whiteboarding program. Even my favorite, believe it or not, is just good old garden variety PowerPoint because PowerPoint, I've just got years and years of doing this. PowerPoint, believe it or not, has really, really excellent drawing tools built into it. Very few people know that, but they're really easy to activate. All you need to do is get, boot up your PowerPoint, go into presentation mode, scroll your mouse over the left-hand corner, lower left-hand corner of the screen, and a, a pen icon's gonna pop up. It's been there for the last 12 years. You've just never seen it before, but it's always been there. If you click on that little pen icon, it now gives you the, the ability to draw directly on your screen. 
And it looks great, especially if you've got a stylus or if you've got an iPad and you can draw with your finger on the screen. You can take over and you don't have to draw anything amazing. Just circle some things as you're talking. Make an arrow that connects idea number one to idea number two to idea number three. If you are doing that markup and you're adding something new to the screen, say, every 10 or 15 seconds, it sounds crazy, but it's not. As long as you keep adding something simple to the screen, your audience literally cannot look away. Why? Because again, with so much of our cognitive processing being based on what we see, when something visual is shifting in front of our eyes, it pulls our entire attention towards it. And we don't have to be coerced into watching. We want to watch. In fact, if you're the person doing the markup, whether it's on one of the whiteboard screens, Jamboard, uh, digital whiteboard, PowerPoint, if you're the one who's marking up the screen, people are going to love it. They're going to love it because their visual mind is happy because they're not just hearing what they're, you're saying. They're actually seeing you interact with your own words. And imagine this, Julian, imagine that you've, you're enterprise sales. Let's say you're in, in software and we've all seen every call starts pretty simple. Oh, customer, you might benefit from being able to do the following. We always as salespeople want to start out with the big picture, but invariably because of the complexities of technology, before long, we're in some really complicated decision tree, information architecture, cloud diagram. And we just know that our audience is kind of just blurring it out. But here's the thing. Take that same drawing, no matter how complex it might be. Present it to your audience as a build. So you might start out by saying, our technical system is composed of three main elements. And you might just have those three on the screen. And then you might say, what's really interesting about our solution is the way we connect elements two and three. And now you click to the next slide that you've already prepared that shows an overlay of two or three. And, and then you go on, you do what we call a build. And if you do that and you walk your audience through the build and you do it step by step, your audience, your prospect, isn't only able to tolerate any level of complexity, they actually, their visual mind gets excited because they're seeing step-by-step step how something complicated is created from a series of simple steps. And then you have a real conversation going because then the person says, wait, 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 could you back up three slides back, that part where you connected items six and seven? I'm not totally sure I got that. And you can, you can click back. And they're like, wait a minute. So you're saying, what would happen if I went from item six, I could skip item seven and go all the way to number nine? And you're like, yes. Think of the conversation you're now having. You have truly engaged that person because they're seeing it with you. One more th thing, Julian, and then, I'll, and then I'll be quiet, but you can hear my enthusiasm coming through here. Imagine that you've done that build. You've, you've, you've taken your prospect or your audience, your, your colleague, through this build from a, a clear idea through increasing layers of complexity, but they've managed to stay with you all the way. Now, on top of that, imagine that you're marking it up. You're literally drawing elements, circles around elements, and then connecting them with arrows, walking them through. It might sound like high school science class, but it is friggin' cool. And you can do that online using tools that are available and probably most of your most folks listening to this probably already have
all of these tools available to them. It's really something. Yeah, it, it, it's it's and so I think what we all want to avoid, right, is to have a conversation with someone where, especially a meeting with with a prospect or a customer around a certain topic, and you can just get the sense that they're not engaged at all, and they're not asking questions, and they're not trying to drive the conversation forward, and you just feel like you're talking at someone. Um, and it sounds like what you're suggesting is that I don't need to be Van Gogh to <laughs> to 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 not only drive a you know compelling message, but also I don't have to be an artist to 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 get them engaged. It seems like it's pretty simple in terms of what I'd be drawing and illustrating on my on my PowerPoints and presentations. Oh, absolutely. And in fact, you know, let's let's be fair. I'm glad you brought this up, Julian. I mean, most of us probably haven't really drawn anything since we were back in kindergarten. Sure. But but and I'm not talking about channel channeling your inner kindergartner. I mean, we want to be respectful of people's time. It's not like this is all a grand joke or something like that. On the contrary, though, I, I like what you said. We don't have to be great artists. And in fact, the more crude in some ways, the more simple the markup and sketches that we're creating on the screen, the more effective they will be. Because there's a whole nother element here that we haven't really touched on yet. And I think it's really important. You mentioned it just a moment ago. The thing we all want to avoid is getting on the phone or on the remote, on, on the Zoom with a prospect and just not being able to engage. It's just horrific. And we've all been there. But think about this. What we really want to do is build an honest, human, open conversation with that person. And if we can do that, we know it's going to go pretty well. There is no way, there's no better way, especially in a remote session, to build that connection than the true, authentic nature of drawing a little picture to explain your thinking. And even if it's ugly, even if your drawing is terrible, and in fact, in some ways, because your drawing is terrible, <laughs> it actually opens up the connection at a human level to the other person because they're saying, oh, I could do the same thing. And, you know, what's really cool about some of the more advanced digital whiteboards, um, uh, there's a few of them that are out there. Mural is the one that comes to mind, but Miro is another one. M-I-R-O is another one. Jamboard allows you to do this a little bit. There's others. You can actually pass the pen back and forth. So mm -hmm. I might have created a very, very simple little schematic sketch that says, you know, here's here's the database, here's the customer interface, and here's where your data uh, is being manipulated or something like that. Here's where your data is is having the magic happen. And then I could say, do you see that? And then ask the other person, the prospect, to say, so in this little schematic that I've just sketched out for you, where do you think you guys have the biggest challenge today? And then when you see that person say, and invariably, Julian, they're going to say this. They're going to say, I can't draw, but, and then you're going to see them draw a little circle around that database. And, and they're going to say, actually, I'm glad you brought this up because I think our biggest challenge is right over here. When you are drawing together, I don't know, Julian, if you've ever experienced this back in the days pre-everything <laughs> pre being remote, but when you had a whiteboard in the meeting room, did you ever whiteboard with a prospect? Did you ever get them up to the to the board drawing with you? Did did you ever have that happen? We had probably to date my most successful on-site meeting I've ever had. We had maybe six or seven folks from our team um, visiting one of my uh, my current customers, and we were whiteboarding out basically their 
end-to-end -end technology architecture. And we were going through an app rationalization exercise to say, basically, scale of one to 10, what's important, what's not. To identify redundant technologies, how can we consolidate? So putting the technical aside, we had one of our architects and one of their um, one of their architects on the whiteboard together, mapping out this whole journey and this whole infrastructure, while the rest of us kind of sat back and watched and listened. And I have never had a more productive two hours with a customer, I think, in my life. And I think a lot in large part because there were these two people having a real intimate conversation about the business and how technology was playing a role. Yeah, isn't that something I've seen? I've experienced that myself, and of course, I wasn't there in that room with you, but I've been in that room many times myself and have seen it. And I would add the other thing that's really powerful about the simple pictures we're talking about is that by virtue of them being drawn on the whiteboard, they're really clear. Like you and I can be having a conversation and maybe we're talking about a technical architecture or an enterprise stack or something. And we might think that we're on the same page, but we could actually have completely different mental models in mind and not even know it. I could be talking about something like this and you could be talking about something like that. We think we're communicating, but we're not. But the moment you go up to the board and you can do this online in exactly the same way and you say, this is the mental model that I see in my mind and draw it there and then ask the person, is that the same thing you see? That connection is almost like superhuman because they say either, yes, that's exactly what I was seeing. That's fantastic. You know, like hackles stand up on the back of your neck. It's so clear. Or they say, oh no, that's, that's completely different than what I was thinking. And then you say, okay, hey, draw me yours. And again, you're gonna get to this back and forth that's real and by the way, is never boring. And if we kind of go back to where we started this conversation, the sales we wanna activate are those that are driven by a real human connection in this weird remote world where it's so hard to retain attention. When you get to that back and forth where you're both drawing and you're sharing the mental model, people do not wanna get off the call. It's amazing. They want to keep going. So now you flipped it from, oh no, not another damn Zoom to, wait, 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 put all the rest of mine off because I don't want to hang up from this one. <laughs> and how, how many of us would want that to happen? This is- Totally, totally. And that's, and that's what we talk about at sales is like, that's becoming uncommon. And what you want to be in a, in a, in a, especially in a virtual world, when you're working with customers and prospects that have a stack day of calls, you want to be the uncommon one. Absolutely. And you mentioned, so I think that the, a couple of big takeaways I'd love for the audience to, to walk away with. So you mentioned some tools that can support this. You mentioned Jamboard, Miro, even PowerPoint. Are there any other tools outside those or any, any that you've seen work really well that you recommend? Just to name a, name a few. Yeah, all, all of the um, remote platforms now, Zoom, GoToMeeting, Microsoft Teams, uh, who I'm missing, um, Google Hangouts. Google. Uh, yeah, pretty much all of them have some sort of whiteboard functionality or some sort of markup functionality. Each one's a little bit different. They all have their pros and cons, but you can practice. And whatever platform you or anybody listening prefers, just do a little bit of online research. I mean, look, we're not the first ones to recognize that the ability to share a visual live is important. So everybody's got their take on it. For me, 
the best and the simplest is just good old PowerPoint because it's got a, it's such a huge installed base. It's an old, but still great tool. PowerPoint is much maligned because many of us have become very lazy in how we've used it and, and whatnot and, or, or created overwhelming pages. But for me, the simplest is just prepare my PowerPoint, leave half the pages half blank because that's what I'm gonna draw. I, I go on my Zoom or my go-to hangout, go-to meeting. I take over the screen, I share my screen and I do the drawing. And that works really, really well. The more advanced version are some of the digital tools we talked about. And Julian, there's one other thing that I'm gonna share with you that I've started doing this last month and a half and it's working awesome. I went out and I bought a good webcam, not the standard webcam that, that came in my, in my um, laptop because it's just kind of not a great camera. But I went and bought not a very expensive, good webcam that has a pretty good field of view, depth of field. And I wheeled behind me, I've got this old three foot by four foot whiteboard on rollers. I pull it behind me when I'm on a remote call and because I have a reasonably good um, webcam, that we that whiteboard is very, very visual, very visible. I just draw on that. And I can't tell you how many people in the last six weeks who are all zoomed out have said, I'm going to do the same thing. Because having a real whiteboard behind you kind of simulates, I guess, in a way that most of us, as much as we hated meetings back in the old days, we maybe kind of miss them a little bit. I think it viscerally reminds us of feeling like we're in the same room together. And sometimes the old, good old analog stuff, like a, a squeaky marker on a, on a whiteboard, as long as people can see it well and it's a big enough whiteboard to where it's, it's in focus on your webcam, it sounds really old school, but I'm having more with success with that <laughs> than just about anything else. It's and it works, it works well. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> especially in a, in a virtual world, it's, it's bringing, you can get that, that real visceral reaction from the customer to when you're drawing something and they have to pay attention, Dan, they, you're not, when you're talking to them and you're not sharing your screen and you're not writing anything down, they can do the dishes while they're talking to you. They can, heck, they can be on a walk with their dog while they're talking to you with yeah. mi millions of distractions and millions of opportunities to, to steal their, their, their mind share. When you're writing something down, I am forced forced to pay attention, right? No, it's brilliant. Um, I, I probably find myself buying a whiteboard off Amazon and a, and a new camera. I have to get this call. So Jeff Bezos will take more of my money. Um, Do it. <laughs> uh, another, another, if I haven't hoarded enough from, from Amazon during COVID. Um, so another thing I, I want to, I want to provide the audience with some framework here too. And I know that we've talked about this in other conversations around um, the, the visual, the visual decoder framework, I think is what you call it. I'd love to get it like, what is the visual decoder framework? And is there any exercises that, because this is vulnerable for all of us, right? This is going to be a new motion, but it's going to be an uncommon motion and it's going to be a mechanic. I hope all of us can bring into our, our selling pursuits. What is it? How can we practice it? How can we get comfortable with it? Oh, thank you, Julian. Yeah. Okay. So the simple context is this. I've been here ranting and raving with you and I appreciate your time letting me do it about the power of, of vision, vision, vision. So here's what's come out over this last uh 12, 15 years that I've been really focused on trying to understand why is vision so important, in particular in, in persuasion and sales, um, and just basic understanding of complex ideas. And 
when you dive into the science of vision, like literally neurobiologically and from a process perspective, what is going on in our brain as our eyes and our optic nerve and our visual neocortex are converting light photons into meaning? That's what vision really is. No wonder it takes mm -hmm. up half our brain. It's really complicated. Um, but enough is understood about the process from kind of a mechanistic way to pull out of it a set of elemental types of visual frameworks, that's a fancy word for pictures, that the human brain is really optimized to try to perceive. So the visual decoder is a way of saying, you can describe any idea that you have, no matter how complex, in a series of five simple drawings. Why? Because we know enough about the basic mechanics of human vision to know that what our eyes are looking for are five different types of pictures anyway. And I can just list off the five for you. And then, you know, it's, it's a little tedious doing it by words, but suffice it to say, one of the first things that our vision system is looking for is we're looking for faces and people and objects. We immediately open our eyes and we identify the physical objects that are in front of us. So the picture that we would draw to reflect that would be just simple emojis or stick figures. We say, hey, you know, I'm a salesperson and you're a customer and I can draw me as a salesperson in a little stick figure. I'm over here holding a box and this is you over here. There's a little stick figure and I'm trying to give you the box. Okay, so that's one of the pictures, just a simple emoji or stick figure. Another picture that we're looking for all the time are maps, meaning our human vision system is constantly measuring what is the position of that object A in relation to object B? Are they in the same place? or are they far removed away from each other? So between those two stick figures we drew a moment ago, just kind of bear with me as we draw pictures in our mind, in the old world, the map would show a square, that's the meeting room, and both the stick figures are in that meeting room. So the map would be, we've got two characters and they're in the same space. Well, now in a remote world, that doesn't work anymore. One of the figures is over here, they're in a box by themselves. The other one is way the heck over here in another box by themselves, and they're connected by a thin pipe. So now what we've done is we've created a map that shows the difference between the world as it was and the world as it is. And the next type of picture we draw would be a chart. And a chart is simply the visual display of number. So how many widgets am I gonna sell this quarter? I can make a little chart. I'm gonna sell 100 widgets this quarter. And how many am I gonna sell next quarter? I'm gonna sell 200 next quarter. I just create a simple little bar chart. That's another one of the basic pictures. So all of this is a way of saying the visual decoder is a prescriptive tool that simply says, first, take a minute or two and draw out your characters. Who, who is in the story that you're trying to tell? Then take a couple of minutes and draw out a little map. What is the relationship, the spatial relationship between those characters. Then draw yourself a little chart. How many characters are, are there? How big are they? Are they growing in number? Or are they shrinking in number? And then your fourth picture is going to be a little uh, timeline that says, okay, now map out for me, Julian, what is the sequence of events that takes place between those two characters? Just step A, step B, step C, so on. And then the fifth picture is you're going to loop, loop all of it together. And that's where you're going to create your kind of your flow chart or we might call it an, a technical architecture diagram. The really complicated pictures that we tend to throw in front of people first and get them really upset. 
People can tolerate a complicated picture type number five, that's the flowchart, but only if we build it for them by going through the other pictures first. So long-winded way of saying the visual decoder is a little thing that I invented. Take a piece of paper, write down these five words on it, who and what, where, how many, when, and then draw a simple little picture to reflect your idea. Now what you've done is you have visually decoded the underlying elements of the story you wanted to tell. And to share it with someone else, all you have to do is start with the first picture and just show them what you've drawn and walk them through it. And you can explain anything. So that's kind of the, the process mechanics of how I do what I do. And that stuff's in my books. Um, and if anybody's interested in it, there's just a little bit of a plug. I, I do have an online program. It's an online visual thinking, visual sales tra training program. It's called the napkinacademy.com. And um, it's a subscription service, but there's a lot of the videos that are for free that describe these tools and, and walk people step-by-step step through how to use them. And the good news is they're all really simple. And after you've drawn a couple of visual decoders, it becomes really intuitive on how to do it again. One more comment and that'll be quiet. The beauty of this visual decoder is it is a memorizable process, like a framework that you can use in every sales call pretty much in exactly the same way, and it will always work for you. So it becomes a kind of a default visual story that you can always rely on to get your message across, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. So thank you for letting me share that. That's, that's, that's where the rubber really hits the road. Of course, and, and it, it, so, it, it sounds like what you're inferring is that it really is simple. It's not, it's not overly complex. The illustrations are simple. And it helps you bring forward a, a visual message that articulates what you're trying to, the message you're trying to drive to the customer. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's face it. I mean, the stuff that we're selling usually is pretty complicated. I mean, life is complicated. Technology is complicated. Everything's complicated. And because that is so, what a prospect really wants is can someone just be clear with me? Like my life is already so complicated. The last thing I want from the person who's trying to sell me something is that they're going to make it even more complicated. Sure. And it's 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 hard to simplify, but what's often but it's worth it. But what's even more valuable often is just admitting, look, the system I want to try to sell you is complicated, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it clear for you. Maybe not simple, but at least I'm going to make it clear and we're going to use these pictures to get there. And then together we will have achieved this clarity. And now guess what? You, you, are, you are sold. And, and I think you bring up a good point, right? Like life is complicated. It's even more complicated now during COVID. Does this extend anywhere else in your life? You know, beyond sales, um, does this is your approach, does it have any, you know, similar impact in other parts of, it could be business or, you know, other types of things you're doing? <laughs> it probably sounds a little bit crazy, Julian, but I draw pictures to help guide my life, to help navigate decisions around, do we buy the house or do we not buy the house? Um, sure. Things that have to do with uh, relationships here at home with my wife and my daughters. And speaking of children, the greatest application of these tools, I believe, is in school. Um, and the visual decoder, we've tested it now hundreds of times with a number of schools in the Bay Area, um, both private and some public schools, as a way to get kids in particular, probably in 
eh, third, fourth, fifth grade, kids that are starting to, to read more complicated books, um, to get them to be able to describe what they've read without necessarily having to write the dreaded book report. Students of that age love, love being able to draw a visual decoder to describe the book that they've just read. And it's really interesting because some students really love to write the, 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 the book report and that's awesome. But there's another way to prove that you actually read the story and understood it, which is, hey, can you create a visual decoder of the story you just read? Maybe you just read Harry Potter. Can you create for me a five panel page that says, who are the characters that were in this? Where were they located? How many were there? What was it that happened? And what's the lesson I'm supposed to take away? Do that in 15 minutes. It's incredible. And it surfaces a whole level of kind of visual intelligence that most schools don't recognize at all. And I'll say one more thing, especially as we get into sales, especially as we get into technology, I would say the predominance of the really great salespeople that I've worked with and most of the really great technology person people that I've worked with are pretty fundamentally visual people anyway. They okay. might not always have been the people who did the best in school. Maybe they did, maybe not. Um, but giving us that fall into that camp more tools to be more effective on the visual side, this is super powerful stuff for your whole life. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, I apply it to everything, and it I, I enjoy it. That's awesome. Yeah, I've I've learned some really interesting things today, Dan, and I'm hoping the audience has as well. And just a couple more questions for you. I, I guess this is so uncommon, right? And it sounds like you've been doing this, you know, significantly previous to to the virtual work environment we're in now. How, how did you come to discover these these tools and these approaches and these mechanics, like what, what, when did the light bulb flick off for, you know, turn on for you and, and, and when did it really become something that was really integral to your, to your approach? Yeah, Julian, thank you. That's a, that's a great one. Um, I, I like all of us, when we were little, before we knew how to read and write, we all drew it, it, it you know, put, put a crayon in the, in the hand of any four-year-old and they're going to draw you a picture. They're going to draw you a dragon or a, picture of their mom or the car or a rocket ship, whatever, without any fear. Um, maybe their mom is the dragon. <laughs> maybe their mom and the rocket ship, you know, yeah, yeah all of yeah. it, all of it. And, and I just never stopped doing that because I found that for me, the way my brain worked, it just, it was really helpful for me to understand the world by being able to draw it out. And I just never stopped. So I went into school, I got a degree in biology, um, and I loved chemistry because we could draw everything out, like figuring out these complicated systems. Uh, and then I got another degree in painting because I'd always just loved, you know, putting pencil on paper and sketching stuff out. Um, and so imagine this, Julian, since you asked, I've got a degree in biology and a degree in painting. You know, I'm fundamentally unemployable. So what are you going to do with that? So I became, of course, a management consultant because what else are you going to do? Um, and so I was the person throughout my whole life who would go into a room where we're meeting a new industry or a new client. And typically I wouldn't know a lot about their industry. Um, but by virtue of being the guy who felt comfortable going to, up to the whiteboard and drawing it out, um, I was able to surface a lot of conversations that that other people were not able to get moving. And after I'd done that for, gosh, 15 years or something, uh, a couple of people I was working with at a technology company in New York said, 
And these are really hardcore consultants. These are like ex McKinsey and Booz Allen type people. They said, Dan, there's something very powerful in those simple little drawings you make on the whiteboard. You should write a book. And Julian, I did. And that was the back of the napkin. And then uh, changed my life and my career. So thanks for letting me share that story. I love that story. And I think, so when I was preparing for this conversation, Dan, I, I was... I wanted to do my own research and some diligence on on visual learning. And I, I remember I, I read I wrote this note. I read a, a Forbes article from a, published a few years ago that said, obviously, humans are visual creatures. We talked about that in the beginning of this podcast. Um, I also found that upwards of 65 percent of people claim to be visual learners. Mm-hmm. So imagine that. Right. And especially in a virtual environment, it's it's critical, especially in a selling a selling motion that we we play to that. and we. We take advantage of that. We leverage that and we use that as part of our story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the really magical thing in here, and I like to be as inclusive as we can be. We've been talking about the power of seeing. I've, I've often worked with people who are blind in different ways. And, um, and even people who do not, for various reasons, even people who might not be able to see, who might not be able to see light and the images still the visual brain is active and the images that are created in the person's mind are still incredibly powerful even more than spoken language and just think about this julian as proof of it you and i've been talking for what 40 some minutes without a shared whiteboard between us and yet by drawing pictures with our words by talking about circles and shapes and things we're still able to activate visual parts of the mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. It's really, I, I would say, frankly, 100% of people are visual learners, yep. whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we want to amplify. That's fascinating. Um, well, Dan, obviously very accomplished. Five international bestsellers. You have a very unique and interesting approach. What's next? What's uh, What are you thinking about now? What's what's on the horizon for you? Oh, Julian, I just signed the contract for my sixth book. So I've got one more coming and it's about visual storytelling. And uh, I have been working these last several years myself and many colleagues and many clients and many people I work with. And it's uh, the new book is going to be called The Pop-Up Pitch. In two hours, create the 10 pages that will transform your audience. It's kind of the pinnacle of the simplest possible, almost visual template for a 10 page uh, sales pitch by which you can sell pretty much anything. And it's based on classic, a combination of classic storytelling all the way back through, if people are familiar with the monomyth and the hero's journey, uh, kind of Joseph Campbell's work on, on a, the most classic storytelling structure kind of through all of humanity. If you combine that with the latest we've learned in sort of visual cognitive sciences, I'm really excited by this one. So a new book coming out. Um, I'm deep into the thick of working on it now. It'll be out next year. Um, and one thing that's kind of exciting is with um, a Salesforce colleague, uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks, I've been invited to actually do something called Trailhead Live, mm-hmm. which is, I think I'm going to be one of the first uh, outside Salesforce people to be able to do a live uh, webinar 
Uh, it's going to be sometime in the next couple of weeks. I'll let you know as soon as I have the date confirmed, sometime in the first two weeks of August. And I think it's going to be really fun because for about 40 minutes, what we're going to do, and it's available to the broad public. Uh, this is available to anybody who wants to tune in. Instead of just talking about these things, we're actually going to draw them out live. So I think that'll be really fun. I'm looking forward to that too. That's a, that's that's awesome. And that's a great segue. I I'm excited after this conversation to join that and actually put some of this to use because this is again who knows how long we're going to be in this environment and even at this environment, visual storytelling is critical, absolutely critical. Um, thank you so much, Dan. This uh, was a very unique conversation. Um, I myself took away something new that I can employ in in, in, in my selling pursuits and my emotions. Um, it really has been a pleasure to get to know you and, and have this conversation about, about visual storytelling. Julian, me too. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it and you really good questions and I appreciate the opportunity to, to share this passion because it's, it's, I think it's good stuff. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for tuning into the Sales Theory Podcast. Stay updated for upcoming episodes on LinkedIn. You can find Sales Theory on Spotify and the Apple Podcast app. Have a great rest of the week and be safe. There we go. Still with me?